It's go time. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome everyone to Quick Kicks. We hope you're warm wherever you are. It is minus 30 here where I am in central Saskatchewan. It's just not fun, but that's why we don't play football in January. We just talk about it. I'm Don Charbon. Joining me tonight is Heath Graham and a very special guest from the Turk District, Andrew Hoskins. Andrew, awesome that you could join us. Hey, thanks for uh, inviting me back. I'm happy to come on and chat football with you guys anytime. We love talking football. There is amazing amount of stuff that happens. What people describe as the off-season, I don't think there really is an off-season. There's just the time that they play and the time that they make moves. Well, and I, I, I know the Randy used to call it uh, business season, right? It's it's the regular season and the business season. And the the thing about this business season is that because the Grey Cup ended so late... Um, it's all of a sudden we're in free agency. Like it's, you used to have, you know, about an eight, 10 week period. uh, And now you've got about seven weeks (laughs) and away we go. So um, I think that's part of it is, you you know, we're seeing a lot of signings. We're seeing a lot of movement. We're seeing a lot of things that are setting people up for free agency. And uh, so it's, it's going to be an interesting few weeks here. Well, and with the sheer volume of free agents this year with, the canceled 2020 season, there's a lot of expiring contracts. So no team had time to kind of sit back and let things come to them. They had to get right to business as soon as that great cup was awarded. Well, and I think too, that it's, I mean, you're right. Although the last, what, probably six season, five anyway, seasons that we've had, uh, it's been this way. There's 8 million free agents and we're all like, well, every team could be new every year. And I know we all thought it was a miracle when mostly Hamilton and Winnipeg, you know, kept their teams together as they came into 2021. And we saw how that benefited both of them. Um, some teams more than others and congrats Heath, cause I haven't talked to you since they won. Uh, but, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm really hoping if we get to talk about the CBA that they're, where they're looking at changing that a bit where we see a bit more of some continuity because uh, having all the free agents is exciting for one day. But as a fan, it's really, really hard to uh, get attached to anybody when you, they're changing everybody every year. It's promising to see a lot of players speaking out and wanting longer contracts. So it's not just coming from the management side and the team side, but a lot of players want that stability and are looking at three-year contracts as a norm coming out of this next CBA. Yeah, I hope that is the case. Absolutely. I would love it. Interestingly, when you go back to when this all started, which I believe was 2014, it was the players and especially the American players that were pushing for this because they wanted the opportunity to get back to the States, to play in the NFL. So they just wanted one-year contracts, not a one-plus or a two-plus or anything like that. Now, after... let's call it a decade of having this opportunity. A lot of guys are looking at it and saying, well, there aren't that many opportunities for us to get back to the NFL. We move around in the CFL and that isn't a lot of fun either. So let's maybe open up and 
be available to a three-year contract. The teams, I think, are. Why not the players, too? And I think there's a couple other things, though, too, is that they did open up that NFL window where they can go down and try out and, and can get released from a contract. Some teams will do that, of course. Uh, but I, I think the other part of it is, is that now with that new rule where you can, if you've been an American with the same team, is it for three or is it five years where you basically kind of can somewhat count as a Canadian if, if you have to be a replacement, there is some push to, because those now be, those contracts become maybe a little more valuable. So if you're there for three years, that next contract might be a bit more for you because it'll help with the team as well. So I, I think there's, there's enough things kind of falling in place that I hope that we see those guys sticking around for longer periods of time. Um, and I know like there's a few guys on, on our team that, I know our team was, well, let me rephrase, my team, that was not uh, not as great as I would like, but there's some there's some guys that I'd like, I'd like to see them stick around. I would think that Kwaku Boatang is probably top on the hit parade in terms of a player that you'd like to see Jones and the Elks resign. Oh, absolutely. Not, not only because he's a great player, um, but also just because he's a friend. And uh, I, I do want to see him stay here. But it a lot of the chatter on Twitter today was that it'll be an interesting couple of weeks. And I, I don't know. Uh, and that, that coming straight from Kwaku. And uh, that would be, in my opinion, a huge loss to the team. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we know, uh, well, uh, Don, you would know firsthand as much as I would that Chris Jones comes in and it it doesn't matter what you've done <laughs> if you don't fit his mold and uh you know Chris Jones's mold is great big huge defensive ends which is unfortunately not like Quake is a big dude but not the same he's he's not Willie Jefferson right I'm I'm a little worried about how that ends up but I, I sure hope he stays because he's He's great in the community when they're allowed to be out there. Uh, he's great on the podcast, uh, and he's an amazing player. And and you know he lets us make fun of his hula hoops all the time. So this is fantastic. Interestingly, you bring up the bloodletting that went on in Saskatchewan, but immediately with the Elks, eleven players were off the team. Yep. When Jones finally put his finger into the uh, roster. Right. Well, and this. In this particular season, because last year they were so bad, <laughs> I think I think a lot of people were like, yeah, okay. It was not a good roster. Like, it really wasn't a good roster. I, I know we had Dave and Morley on the show, and there was a lot of paper talent, but it was not a good roster together. And it was there was so many areas that needed retooling that when he comes in and, and drops 11 players and, and there was, there were some names on there. You look at Sir Vincent Rogers. I mean, granted he didn't really play that much for us. Um, you, you know, there's, there's a couple of guys in there, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything. Well, Tuck, I guess was one for James Tuck was a bit of a surprise for me, but, um, but overall it was like, okay, there, we knew that we were going to have to change over the roster if we actually wanted it to be a competitive team. So this is the first step in doing that. And so it'll be a very interesting couple of weeks here for uh, Elks fans, because we're hoping to hear who the new president and CEO is in the next week or so. Uh, and then there will be a few signings and then free agency is going to be, I think, huge for this team because we're going to see how many players want to come back and play with Chris Jones. 
What are your thoughts on the quarterback situation with Nick Arbuckle and Taylor Cornelius? Do you think there's somebody else coming in in free agency to give a bit more competition? Or do you think uh, Chris Jones is happy with who he's got sitting there right now? I know he's brought in a couple of quarterbacks. They still have Dakota Prukop on the roster as well. So right now we're looking at five quarterbacks. The likelihood is you're going to keep three, right? But the one thing I will say with the two guys that he did just bring in, um, both of them have played wide receiver. He may be looking at, do we can we find that guy that can play quarterback but can also be on the roster as a receiver? And then if my second quarterback goes down, then this guy can step in as the quarterback, right? And so I know that's been the chatter quite a bit here in Edmonton, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him have somebody like that that could do multiple spots and and still get listed as a special teamer or a receiver or whatever, but can play quarterback if those other if one of, if two quarterbacks go down in a game. Well, you point to the CBA, and there's a classic thing that needs to be changed. They have to have three quarterbacks dressed for a game. I don't care anymore to see receivers play quarterback in Ottawa. I I can see both kind of I guess I can see kind of both sides of it, but I think the one thing that it has shown showed only dressing and I mean we've only had what one season with the two quarterbacks, right? Um but if there's one thing that I think last season showed us, it's that the quarterback talent in the league there is a steep drop off. There's some great guys and then it's like, "Whoa, Where's the rest? And because we had so many injuries last year, we we saw a lot of the rest <laughs> and not uh, not probably enough of the guys that we want to be seeing. So I, I, you know, there was obviously some bright spots. You look at Jake Mayer in Calgary and even and not that it's his first season, but you look at Matt Schultz even coming in for Vernon Adams Jr. There, there's some guys there that have some good points about them. Uh, I guess my my big worry is that if you don't have that third quarterback on the roster in a couple of years, are all the quarterbacks that we have on that lower tier and are, do we lose those top tier guys because we don't have that, they're not getting that experience being on the sidelines and, and maybe having to step in when the time comes. Well, I think it's practice time too. Like I, I think too much is made of standing on the sidelines and watching what's going on. You could sit in the stands and see the same thing. I think practice time and being in the coaches' rooms and being in all of the conference rooms discussing offense, discussing strategy, I think the repetitions help. And that's where you be, you move from being a college player to a professional player. Yeah, I can see that. But they are in the meetings, even if they're on the practice roster, right? They're still in the meetings. They're still out in practice. They're still doing those things. But what, when, do they get the, when do they get the snaps? Like the... And I'm not saying that obviously every third string quarterback gets snaps, but you you kind of want to have them a little more prepared and, and being a little more action involved in the action kind of helps. And and I think, you know, I look back to the 80s for the Elks and how it went from, you know, Lemmerman to Wilkinson to Moon to Dunnigan to Damon Allen to Tracy Ham <laughs> back to Allen. Like in... And you look at that and like at, at some point, Moon and, and Dunnigan, like they were the third string quarterback, but you can't tell me they didn't learn from being on the sidelines with those guys in the heat of action, right? You know, Calgary's another great example. They have quarterback after quarterback. And so you, you kind of want to look back and say, well, it, 
did that clipboard time help that quarterback? And and for some, it definitely did. Well, and there's a, a picture that was circulating this past year of the Toronto Argonauts and a, a stable of quarterbacks that have had great CFL success as well. And I believe Ricky Ray and Zach Kolaris were in there. I can't remember who else was in that picture. But there was about four quarterbacks that have gone on to be solid starters in the CFL. And, you know, and you, I mentioned Zach Kolaris and you look what happened in Winnipeg when he took a week off. Mm-hmm. And Sean McGuire and Drew Brown were the quarterbacks of record. And really, you mentioned a drop-off. That was a substantial drop-off. Yeah, that was a that was like a Grand Canyon cliff, wasn't it? Like that's and and so th- that's what we're talking about is that um but but McGuire, I mean, it, he could line up and just quarterback sneak it down the entire field. He'd get 3-4 yards every play. I mean, he might as well. And with that offensive line, they could probably do it. And um but but that's the only thing that he's really had practice in. At least now he's seen some live reps under the gun, you know, firing it down the field. And so those are the things that as those guys get a little more of that, it, does something click or the, it, does the game slow down for them if they're standing on the sidelines and watching it happen? Um, who knows? But I, I tend to believe that if they have that, that sideline experience, it goes a long way to being able to perform on the field. I think though that the sideline experience, and I, I will point back to Anthony Calvillo and when he, came from Hamilton to Montreal. He had a lot of help from the starting quarterback that was there, to whom you've already referred. And when you have the established quarterback saying, look, this is what I saw, this is what I'm doing, this is what I want to accomplish, and keep that coaching going on on the sideline, that's where I think the real benefit. If Tracy Ham doesn't do that with Anthony Calvillo, does Anthony Calvillo become the quarterback that he is? Maybe, maybe. I mean, the fact of the matter is Calvillo had pure talent. Um, he just needed to be, he just needed to be given time because he's a very different quarterback than Tracy Ham, right? He was not the mobile quarterback. He, he stands in there and gets it out of there quick. And um, I, I would say that Tracy Ham definitely plays a role. Uh, I would say the coaching there also played a role because they realized that Anthony could get it off quick. So you get a, uh, offensive line that could hold up for three seconds and Anthony will make the play. Right. And so that's the, um, I, I think there's a combination of things for him for sure. But yes, does Tracy Ham play a role in kind of teaching him that? Yes. And going back to your original question, does that worry me with the Elks not having really a, a, a guy that has been around and in the league for a while? Absolutely. Um, it, but I'm going to leave that. I'm going to lean a bit on Jarius Jackson for that, who had played many years in the league um, and knows kind of what to do as far as the quarterback position is concerned. Anthony Calvillo now going back to the Alouettes, becoming the quarterback's coach. He's got a Vernon Adams Jr. who likes to sling it. And I wonder if Calvillo will make him more of a pocket passer and take what the defense gives as opposed to forcing it all the time. Uh, I'll be curious to see how that combination works between Anthony Calvillo and Kahari Jones with with Vernon Adams Jr. Because they Kahari was definitely more of the gunslinger in comparison, whereas Calvillo was the very, you know, precise, you know, surgeon like cut you through down all the field. Right. So um, it'll be interesting to see how those two both play a role in Vernon Adams Jr. because Vernon Adams Jr. could also just tuck it and run and and neither 
Kahari or Calvillo were really big, you know, they were really known for that. On the other hand, you're right. If, if Calvillo can, can teach Vernon Adams to take the dump pass every now and again, instead of always going for the big shot, that Montreal, I tell you, they have made some moves as of late. Um, they're, they're going to be, they're going to be a fun team to watch next year. I, I can't agree more. The Alouettes to me are the team on the verge in the East. They have lost two semifinals in a row. They are, I would think, the one team that maybe has a little bit more pressure other than the Thai Cats. Okay. Yeah, I could I could see that. I could see that. I think I think there is gonna be some pressure on Toronto next year just because they did have a good season this year and, and then, you know, finished first and then kind of tanked out at the end. Um I think those three teams and, and Ottawa, the pressure is just, can they field a competitive team? I don't think it's a matter of, do they, do they need to be getting, you know, way into the playoffs or anything? It's just, can they, can they compete and, and make it more interesting in the East? But, but I think Montreal is definitely on the rise. And although they have so far kind of done pretty well, as far as locking up some players in Hamilton, it'll be curious to see how, what changes in free agency, especially when you have guys like Jeff Reinbold going over to, uh, Montreal, which is definitely going to benefit Montreal. And Sean Burke, of course, leaves for Ottawa. Right. So how many players are going to leave Hamilton to go to Ottawa? So if if that kind of plays out the way we just said it, then maybe Montreal is the one that has taken the next step forward. And the one thing Montreal really has going for them right now is their quarterback situation is solidified. They got Eugene Lewis back under contract. That's huge as well. So, you know, kind of looking through the the teams and, and quarterback situations. There's about four teams in my mind that have things locked down as far as their starting quarterback. And there's about five big name quarterbacks still floating around. We know Winnipeg's pushing hard for Kolaris. He's the most outstanding player of the league last year. He's wanting a big raise and deservedly so. There could be a, a real kind of carousel if if Zach Kolaris doesn't fall back to Winnipeg, then you're looking at, does McLeod Bethel-Thompson fit in somewhere? We still don't know the status of Michael Riley. Nathan Rourke looks like he's ready to step in as a starter as well. So it's it's going to be a real scramble, I think, for those other five teams if they don't get somebody locked up here in the next week. And let's not forget Jeremiah Mazzoli, who is probably the preeminent free agent quarterback, although technically not free agent as of yet. Absolutely. And you've got him and Trevor Harris are probably the two that are out front anyway. What'll play an interesting role this year too is the whole vaccination status. And I know there's lots of talk about Mazzoli, whether he is or isn't. And uh, I'm not going to sit on my judging throne and say whatever, you know, whatever I uh, think about that either way. Fact of the matter is if you can't travel with the team, you're not going to have your your value is not the same (laughs) as it would be otherwise, right? And that law has come into effect as of That's right. this podcast, like it's already out there. So you better decide pretty quick. If you want to play Canadian football, you better get vaccinated. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So so we'll see if that plays a role at all as well. And um, I, I agree with you, Heath, that there's, you know, there's some team, obviously Calgary's now kind of set. They, you know, they've reworked Bo's deal and Jake Mayer is back there. Saskatchewan's set. Fajardo's not going anywhere. We we, we kind of knew that was going to be the case. Dane Evans now set in Hamilton for sure. So we know that. And Vernon Adams Jr. in Montreal. And the other five teams, well, it, it, it could 
could go anywhere. And, and I, I don't know about Michael Riley, but I do know that, um, uh, my feeling is anyway, that he would be in BC or he would probably be done or he might go into coaching. Right. I would agree with that. I, I don't think he's going anywhere other than the lions either. Absolutely. But any of those other quarterbacks can certainly test the market a little bit and, and see where they might fit in. Does Zach Kolaris, and I'm just floating this balloon, ever wind up in Ottawa because he's got a coach there that he knows? Oh, man. I I don't know. Here's the thing. It would have to be, I would think anyway, just because of the way Kolaris knows, part of the reason that he's had some such great success is because of that offensive line. Now, you're right, Heath, that he's deserving of a raise. He's done, you know, he, he's the most outstanding player, most outstanding player in the Grey Cup, all those types of things. On the other hand, he's going to have to decide. Does he want championships or does he want money? And um, what, you know, Brazilian Thai said to me the other day, like, hometown discount only works if everybody takes it. And so we're going to see if that, plays out the same way in in uh, Winnipeg because uh, I mean they could have the right spot but would would Zach go to Ottawa I guess would your was your question and I would say would you want to play behind that offensive line at this point no at, but if the money's right and I've got a chance to turn a team around I'd be highly motivated I would only do it if I knew that they were actually going to bring in some protection. Yeah, if Stanley Bryant comes with me, I might, I might <laughs> consider it. <laughs> which, which he's not gonna, he's not going anywhere. But, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, I understand the drive that you want to make the cash. You take the money while you can. It's football. You don't want to, you know, you you only have a limited time to play, and you you got to cash in while you're playing, especially when you've had a year like he had. Totally get it. On the other hand, do you want to be able to play for another three years, or do you want to, do do you want to make it through half a season because you have at, like there was no protection there? I don't think it was even fair to judge quarterbacks in Ottawa because they were always running for their life as soon as they said hut. So uh, I, that's why I think it'd be a long shot to see Caleros go there. You know, if it, if it was anything, I I might see him going back to Toronto just. He's got, there's another quarterback coach there. There is a little better protection on the offensive line. Is that a possibility? Maybe. But I think in the long run, he probably ends up still in Winnipeg. I would say Jeremiah Mazzoli is maybe the front runner to end up in Ottawa at this point, possibly following Sean Burke. Again, it boils down to his vaccination status, but that's the most likely big signing for, for Ottawa as far as quarterbacks go. Well, the one caveat I'll toss in about vaccination status is if Omicron plays out the way it's supposed to by the time training camp comes around where are we going to be with all of this pandemic endemic there's all this sort of conjecture going back and forth it may not matter by that point it, it may not but in in the second week of february are you willing to risk that with everything that's happened in the last two years that's the question right and to me especially when you're banking on one of the most important positions on your team uh-uh, i am not taking that shot it's i it's get it and be on the team or don't and I'll find somebody who can do it because on the off chance that something new comes that we had no idea was coming I got to make sure that the person can can be there be part of the team yeah and I'm sure Sean Burke is 
weighing that in his mind. Now it's at least a couple more weeks before he can even make an offer. But he's got Caleb Evans there. Yeah. And I don't know if Evans has been given his due. As you mentioned, that offensive line was suspect. He was running for his life half the time, and he stood up to it all. You never heard him complain. He still put up points for that team. Yeah. And I think Evans could be the the quarterback of of note for the Red Blacks. I would agree. And and I know, you know, the, the ladies on the Mouchoir podcast have talked about that it, it's time to groom your own quarterback. And maybe that's it. Now, maybe, maybe they bring in Mazzoli as the, you know, the, the wise veteran, right? The mentor uh, with, with the idea that Evans is either starting and, uh, you know, and going from there at, or, or is Mazzoli starting the games that are, you know, in Ontario and, and Evans is starting the other games and they're just kind of seeing how, like, it's impossible. I mean, who knows? I'm just throwing ideas out there, but it's one of those things where do you bring in that veteran to kind of help him along? But I agree with you. I thought Evans showed some great stuff and, uh, you give that guy a a few more seconds, you know, a couple more steamboats to throw the ball. Maybe there's not as many interceptions as there was because he was just kind of panicking and throwing it out there. We know that Dominique Davis will not be in the calculation because he's been released by the team. Right. Yes. And I not sure that I see him landing, a lot of places. So, uh, that might be the backup, backup role or the guy that's coming in with a team that has four other quarterbacks. And it's like, okay, well show us what you can do. And, uh, right. What if you go three quarterbacks deep or do they even look at Dominique Davis as a guy that could go into Winnipeg as a guy who can at least, you know, has some starting capability and definitely from what we saw has a better arm than Maguire at this point. Do you, do you have that as a backup in case, uh, you know, Coleros doesn't sign or, or does sign and then somehow gets injured because it is possible. Right. So I, I look at places more like that. It's always such a tough situation. I, in, you know, in some ways feel bad for these free agents because you're betting on yourself, but there's going to be a point where the teams aren't going to give you that extra look that you're hoping for. So, you know, we, we talk about hometown discounts and those sorts of things, but the important thing for a lot of guys is to get your name on a contract to guarantee that you're playing somewhere next year. Mm-hmm. And at some point when you wait too long, some of these, and we talked about this last season going into the free agent period, some of those older guys you're going to see just kind of fade away, unfortunately. And, and with some of these quarterbacks, Trevor Harris is a, is an interesting one in my mind too. Has time passed him by, or is he going to be given one more chance to be a starting quarterback somewhere? Yeah, it'll, that'll be a very interesting one to see. And how, how can he handle that? And how does the team that signs him handle that? Because last year was so tumultuous, right? That it, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. The other part of it though is, and you said this Heath is they, they want to sign a contract so they can guarantee a spot to play. I, I think, this year with all of the free agents, even if you sign a contract, it doesn't guarantee you're going to play there. <laughs> like, I, that's, No, that's true. We actually don't know. I, I know here we're looking at, okay, they're re-signing guys, but uh, there's no guarantee they get through training camp. There's going to be a hundred guys at this training camp and who 
best ones that stand out will stay rest you know it doesn't matter what your contract was you fit the scheme you stay the other part is is that the the players want to buy in is is the thing that i'm hearing i know when we talked about it after the season ended and and i was a little bit like well i don't i, I don't like this idea part of it was scorned lover and part part of it was okay i I just don't want that to all happen again. Right now, Jones is saying all the all the right things, and he I'll give him credit. It's a four year contract, which I did not see coming. Yeah, he's he's saying the right things, and all the players are saying that was the right choice. Okay, I'm gonna give the benefit of the doubt and see how it goes. Really happy that they bringed in a uh, bringed in. That's my wonderful English today. I'm really happy that they brought in G Roy Simon uh, on the off chance that things do change down the road. Yeah, we kind of speculated that G-Roy was due an upper management opportunity, and, and it finally came to him. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that down the road, he's probably eyeballing Vancouver again, but this is a great stepping stone if it turns out to be one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and he'll learn a lot, right? He'll learn he'll learn from Jones. Um, he'll be able to put his own stamp on it. And, and as far as needing kind of a community guy in the upper echelons, uh, G Roy is the perfect guy for that. Right. What is the feeling in Edmonton with Chris Jones? You kind of talked, I I know there's been lots of jokes about him bouncing from here to there and that sort of thing. And, and definitely a bit of an eye opening pick to show back up in Edmonton, but What's the what's the consensus there amongst fans and and media to have him back? I I think right now it's still kind of a 50-50 split on who likes it and who doesn't. I think he's a polarizing character just because of his history of he's not the most chatty guy when it comes to the media. He doesn't he's not the most he at least on camera. He doesn't seem like like the friendliest dude. Um now Talking to him, and I, I only have ever met him once, but he seemed like a reasonable dude. Like, he seemed nice enough. He's nice enough with the fans. And and some of the stories that I get from other fans was that, yeah, he was very cordial and fun to talk to and nothing like hearing him say yahoo live. That's funny. Um, so, you know, it's it. So there's there's some good things. I think that he was absolutely the right fix for what we needed on the field. Again, he's saying all the right things that tells me, okay, maybe he is a fix for helping for off the field too, but he's definitely the quick, good fix for on-field performance, and and that's great. I think G-Roy and then whoever becomes the president is going to be also very important hires to help on the community side of things. Um, so that that's more kind of where uh, I, I think that helped because right now a lot of Elks fans are still great. So yeah, we get Suitcase Jones. He's here for two years and then he's going to be gone again and he's going to leave and take everybody with him. And then we're going to be right back in the same situation that we were, you know, four years ago. But right now he's he he's he's saying things like he's going to be around. So we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, and and I'm excited to see what he builds on the field. I know that that probably means that we're going to lose some guys that we don't want to lose, but I know that that likely means that it's going to come in with some name we've never heard of that is going to light up the field, and we're going to be all amazed and shocked and have a new person to get jerseys for. Now, when he took over 
in Saskatchewan. He went 3-15 and that first season. So you might have to get used to losing for one more year. Oh, no. I had, I had full expectation that we have another crappy year because it's you can't take a roster that was that poor in performance and all of a sudden, you know, be, you know, 10 and eight. Like, like it's just not like that's not good. I, I mean, it, it it happens. It has happened, but. I'm not going to hold my breath on that. I'm I'm going to be pretty at this particular moment. I, I mean, I got to wait and see what the roster is like. Don't get me wrong, but at this particular moment, I'm like, hey, can we can like can we win a game at home? Like that would be great. Let's start with that. It's mini goals, mini goals. <laughs> and if he leaves in two years, but he's got another great cup ring on his finger, and you've got another banner up in the stadium, that's not a bad trade off either. And we have G. Roy Simon that could then take over. And, you know, there, there's other things in place. Okay. Then, like, at least it just seems to me like the hire was there. And then all of the the what if hires are happening <laughs> in behind the scenes. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, when they were looking for the next GM and head coach, another name that was tossed around a little bit was Mike O'Shea. And... As much as I love the guy and absolutely hope he stays in Winnipeg forever, if he walked away from Winnipeg to take on the head coach and GM job in Edmonton with his two great cups that he finally brought to Winnipeg, I would just wish him the best of luck. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you'd be like, okay, well, I hope he I hope he does okay, except when he plays us, right? Like that would have and you know what? If if Chris Jones would have left in January of 2016 instead of the Wednesday after they won the cup. And if maybe he had left and then his coaches kind of trickled towards him and he didn't just take the entire coaching staff in one fell swoop three days after the gray cup win, we might've been a little more in that realm of like, Hey, he brought a cup back. This was a good opportunity for him and he needed to take it. And, and I, in the long run, I don't honestly blame him for taking the opportunity because he wanted to the GM role. He wanted to, he wanted to run the show. He wanted his guys with him. I totally get it, but it was just the way that it came out and the way that it happened, that it was just like, Oh, you know what, buddy? Like, but now we all have to be like, well, okay. I'm going to kind of tuck my tail in between my legs and say, okay, well, I hope you can do it again. <laughs> but this time you're going to try and do it without Mike Riley. So let, let's let's see what happens there. It almost kind of gives you the same uh, the same feeling as when the Colts packed up and left Baltimore in the middle of the night, right? It's it's a a, a bitter feeling when something like that comes to fruition the way it did. Right. Yeah. And then you're okay. Well, when they come back, then you're like, okay, like I get it. You had to take your chance, but uh, could you? Okay. Let's. I'm gonna. My voice gets higher and higher as I talk about him. I really hope you can do a good job. That's good. That's great. Yeah. So <laughs> it'll be good. Now, an interesting development, and I would love to see this happen. Delvin Bro has filed his papers to unretire from the Canadian Football League. I've always been a massive fan of Delvin Bro, and if he's back in the league, and if the Tie Cats, whom I'm thinking, will get him, oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, now Delvin Bro, a few uh, two years away from the game, though, too, right? Still, will be a very good corner. 
Will he be the exact same shutdown corner? Tough to say. Be interesting to see. I, I agree with you, though. I think if he ends up anywhere, it'll be Hamilton. Uh, you know, I'll I, I'll put my hand up for Frankie Williams because we could use a returner. <laughs> I know we just traded for Martise Jackson, but I I, I always hope that there's going to be some kind of return game at some point. So I, I, I got to put my faith in, in one of those to show up one of these days. Not the catch and fall down approach. Well, yeah. Yeah, catch, fall down, and let somebody touch you. And in the meantime, get a holding penalty so we march back 10 yards. Because you might as well. Like, why would we bother? Why would we bother starting anywhere but inside our own 20? That would be ridiculous. Yeah. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. We've touched on the CBA. We know that it's coming up for renegotiation this year. Do you think that we're ever going to get to a stage where they haven't come to an agreement and maybe training camps could be affected? I don't know if there's any animosity right now. I don't know if anyone's entrenched in a position. It seems to me like given that the number of players that have started to sign, there's probably some optimism that this is going to be a done deal soon. I I think with the cancellation of the 2020 season, there's a bit more likelihood that both sides want to just come to an agreement as quickly as they can. I, I think there's a little bit of give and take that both the league side and the, the players association side are willing to take in order to maintain working. We, we all know how, treacherous it was for the entire league having that one season canceled and a a work stoppage or even a a delay in getting to training camp at this point I don't know if anybody wants to see that I agree with you that nobody wants to see it but based on all of my experience over the last 25 years or whatever that I've followed the CBA part of things um, it will likely get signed like either the week or the night before training camp starts just because it always seems to have to drag out to that point and it drives me crazy every time. So I'm trying this year, trying a new approach of not being stressed about it until such time as that I can't be sitting in training camp. I'm thinking the last time there was a lockout in the CFL was 1974 and they lost two preseason games as a result of it. Yeah, but wasn't it in 20, was it 2016 where we, where they delayed training camp and then had to start oh, like a week later? There was an... There was another year where it, it it at least got delayed, not by much, but it did get. De- and then there was another year that it ha- that it tr- literally did get signed the night before training camp started. So these these labor negotiations in general, although um, you know need to happen, and I'm hoping that the players get a get a fair shake, and I hope it's a little more of a, a partnership than it has been in in past years. I really wish that they could just say, okay, we, you know, the deadline to get it done is April 15th. And and then we have a month of, okay, we're prepping and then let's get into training camp and not this whole, we have to wait until the very last minute before we finally get something going. Third quarterback would probably be a huge part of that negotiation. What about if you add that third quarterback, if you take a roster spot away somewhere else, like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that would work. I, I, I still look at it. It blows my mind and I understand there's, you know, salary cap issues and, and all those kind of things, but it, it, you look at 
smaller field, less guys on the f- less guys on the field, but the NFL's ro- sideline roster is bigger than a CFL. <laughs> and it's like that doesn't wait. That doesn't make sense. How do we? How do we do this? So, I, I mean, I would like to see that if they add in the third quarterback, great. Um, I'm I'm curious to see if. Um, in, in as part of the negotiation, I'm not saying that it happens, but as part of the negotiation, if they say, you know, you have to have, you know, uh, at least three Canadians on either side of the ball uh, to kind of open that up a little bit more. Uh, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to play with um, things like the one year contracts? Like there's so many different things that they could throw out there. And I think there is still going to be a push to have that global position. So, um, it was really the global position that kind of started to battle with the whole third quarterback thing, right? Like that's kind of where they wanted to have that spot. But I mean, would either of us be upset if they increased the sideline, the game day roster a little bit so that that way, then you just have your, your third quarterback or, or an extra backup guy. Like, I don't think I'd be too upset about it. I'm going to take the contrary side because I find that with the larger rosters, you get more and more specialization. So think of it this way. Offense breaks the huddle. And I've seen this in NFL games where and the official will hold up their hand. The defense hasn't finished making their substitutions yet. And I'd love to see that stop. I think the game would be a lot better because so much now is personnel get thrown into the game and it's just this myriad of guys running back and forth from the sideline. Stop it. No, I, and I can I can see that. I can see that where you have, okay, like three running backs and they all are switching out every play. And uh, like, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, and I'm not talking about drastically increasing them. I'm just thinking like if you're talking about a third quarterback, okay, well, let's put one other roster spot in and put a, make it as a third quarterback. Fair enough. Why do we have to remove somebody to have that happen? I, I, I don't think we do. It's a, it's a cap sort of thing because if you keep adding and the cap stays relatively the same, that means everybody's wage will go down that much. Yeah, well, possibly. Yeah, that's fair. And so then, th- then maybe the PA would not want that. So what is your take on the global roster spot? I mean, I'm coming at it from a Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan where they have probably had the most success with the Global Player Initiative, Theodric Hansen is a special teams beast and does not look lost out there taking reps on the defensive line. But is that something, in your opinion, that the league should continue to try to grow? Or do you think we've seen enough to know whether it's worthwhile or not? Uh, I would say that you continue it. And the reason I say that is because I I look at it as this this truly was the second year that they had that position, right? when I'm looking at the college draft and the, or the Canadian draft and I draft an offensive lineman, very few of them are going to just fit in on the field in their first year or two. Some of them will for sure, but it's, it's kind of a rarity. Like even if you get a high offensive lineman pick, you're probably really expecting them to kind of be in a, a starting or the sixth guy role by their, third year, right? Third, fourth year. We haven't hit the third year of global players who have not even played CFL ball before, much less like they've played football, but they haven't played CFL football 
I think we continue with that program because you're going to see guys that now I look at guys like Diego Viamontes on the Elks, who's a, um, a receiver, um, was kind of, he was the first global player ever drafted. They draft another receiver or he goes and he's talking with his old teammates and he's saying, well, this is new. This is something I had, I had to adjust to. This is so, and now these guys in Mexico or, or places are now trying to learn how to adapt to that. That guy that now gets drafted, you know, four or five years after him is going to be, is going to have a different subset than what he had when he was drafted. Right. Because now they're, these players are getting that experience. And so, I think you keep going with it. I don't think you can can the program unless you get to, you know, five, six years down the road and we still are in the same position where we have one or two guys that are actually CFL ready, so to speak, or or ability wise. Then you then then maybe you rethink it. I don't think I still don't think you give up on it, but I think you got to give these guys time to adapt to the differences in this Canadian game and you got to give them time to be able to fit into that roster and you got to give them time to quote unquote maybe around the world mentor some other guys that now could come in and uh, and possibly play and I know last year the Elks had drafted uh, Nielsen and he got into a couple of games and he uh, like there were some plays where we were like, Ooh, not great. Some plays he did great. And, but you got to imagine now him having that under his belt, if they had to look at it for next year, could he, could he look again? And, and he was, he was a global player, but he had played in the States. So he does have some ability there. Right. So I, I don't think you abandoned it anytime real soon. I think it's a, it's one of those things I think you have to wait a generation before you really decide whether it's worth it or not. You've got to wait 20 years before this is good or not for the league. I'm excited to see when we start seeing guys that were like, holy, this is, this is a quote unquote ratio breaker as a global. And, and you know, it's going to happen at some point. And so uh, I'm curious to see how, how that kind of plays out and, and, I like to cheer for some of those guys. Like they have great stories. Uh, and so I, I kind of, I, I, I agree. I see what you said, Don, about the, the generational and the 20 year thing. My, my only, the only caveat I would put on that is how much money are you putting into it? So that's why I say you reassess it at that five or six year mark, because if you're doing global drafts on other parts of the world and, and you're, and teams are having to, you know, scope guys around the world, then they, there may be that reassessment time if they're not seeing some diamonds in the rough as, as we get into that five, six year mark. As we look at the signings that have been going on, Saskatchewan signing both Kyron Moore and Shaq Evans, Duke Williams is still out there. Does he stay with the Rough Riders? Is there any name that you think that is really important that a team has to really focus on getting? Take your pick. Um, I haven't looked at the list that closely in the last little while. I, I mean, it, it, it's nice you see some of these bigger names going. You have Lucky Whitehead 
uh, Dane Evans, um, like you had just said, Kyren Moore, Shaq Evans. I, I didn't expect both of them to be back in Saskatchewan. I, I thought for sure, you know, Duke Williams would be taking a spot and one of those two would be, would be moving on. So, I mean, some of the big names that have gone, uh, I thought, oh, okay, well, I mean, like you said, that does give some confidence the season's going for sure. But, but is there another, I think, the biggest linchpin, I, I agree with what we talked about before, is, is is Zach staying in Winnipeg? And if he is, then where do, where does the rest of the chips fall on that? And um, and I think we also talked about, and, and just on the Canadian side of things, where does Kwaku Boateng end up? And I think there could be a lot of chips falling because of that too. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see um, how those spots play out. I, I don't know that there's too many, I mean, there's other big names, don't get me wrong, but I don't know that there's others that are like, as soon as this happens, there's going to be all this flood of other people. The one other Winnipeg one, that's a really interesting spot for me is that running back. Andrew Harris is going to be 35 years old by the time training camp opens. He missed half of the past season with injury. And we saw Brady Oliveira and Johnny Augustine step up in to fill that void for him. And I just don't know if Winnipeg is willing to invest the amount of money that Andrew Harris is probably hoping to get. And that could free up some of that money to get some of those other guys, Stanley Bryant, mm-hmm. as we mentioned, and Zach Kolaris. So in my mind, if I'm Kyle Walters, I'm really taking a hard look at that running back position. As much as I hate to say it because he's been so good for Winnipeg and so good for the league, I don't know that I'm willing to take another chance on Andrew Harris. Hmm. That's that's fair. And I, I think I think because of the if if last year didn't happen the way it did, if Harris had played most of the season, I believe a majority of Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans would be saying, How could we possibly ever think that we could live without Andrew Harris? But I think now a majority of them are saying, you know, we'd probably be okay. (laughs) So maybe we don't have to be so worried about it. Love Andrew Harris. Uh, You guys love Andrew Harris. I don't because he (laughs) always kills my team and I hate him. So uh, it's uh, you love the way he plays. Um, He's Canadian in a in a running back position that's that's starting. But you, you also saw that you have some other Canadian talent there that could also step into that role, right? So uh, here's a question that I have for you then, Heath. Uh, and a lot of it is Andrew Harris, don't get me wrong. But I think a lot of it goes also back to that offensive line. like, And that's why you can see these other guys have success as well. And they may not have the same amount of success as Andrew Harris, but they're going to have some success because that line moves people. Absolutely. And you look at the names of free agents who have resigned in Winnipeg and you got Jamarcus Hardrick and the, uh, uh, several other offensive linemen. Drew DeJarle is getting some looks south of the border and Stanley Bryant hasn't signed. But other than that, they are bringing back, I think, unquestionably the best offensive line in the league last year. And that was a huge, huge part of the running success for Winnipeg. Absolutely. Andrew Harris, I'm not going to disrespect him. He plays hard. He hits that pocket, like hits the hole at the offensive line, like nobody else and can block, you know, block that extra guy coming on a blitz. So he has value. And I, and I don't want to sound like I'm giving up on Andrew Harris and his capabilities at all. I'm looking at dollars and cents and looking at 
a roster that had 43 free agents at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody's looking for a raise because they won a championship. So that's, unfortunately for Andrew Harris, that's where I'm drawing the line. Here, Here's my question for you. If, if he's not there, where does Andrew Harris go? Off into the sunset. You think so? You don't think that he might uh, call up his buddy Paul Lapolice and try to turn turn things around in a, in a in a on a different team with his offensive coordinator that knows him so well and basically leaned on him for a number of years until they finally had the quarterback position kind of locked up. I I wonder if that if that could happen if he still feels like he can go. Is that well, let's let's give Harris some due here. When the team needed him most, he provided. He provided in the 2019 Grey Cup, yeah. the 2021 West Final, and the 2021 Grey Cup, especially that second half of the Western Final against Saskatchewan. I still think he's got mileage in those legs because he didn't play that much in 2021. I think the Bombers would be very interested. I don't know that they could give him top dollar, but I would be very surprised if they don't try to reach some sort of accord with him to get him back on that roster. I just, as Heath mentioned, the other thing that he does that no one talks about is he picks up blitzes. Yeah, oh, he does. Absolutely. Well, we talked about Ottawa's offensive line problems already with talking about Zach Kolaris, and I don't know if Andrew Harris is willing to go to an offensive Offensive line that yep. can't open those spots up for him either. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. This is this is fantastic. Great chat. Podcast going right now? Or are you guys on hiatus? Uh, we're on hiatus until the end of January. Just because, I mean, obviously there's lots of stuff going on with the Elks, so we're we're trying to be somewhat active on on uh, social media. Um, but when when you have a season like that, and every week you have to make <laughs> you have to sit down and talk about how crappy that last game was, uh, we needed all we all needed a bit of a break. So um, so we're we're enter re-energizing, uh, trying to find some new things that we can do uh, with the video podcast as well um, to to jazz that up a little bit, and uh, we're hoping to uh, get things fired up here again uh, just before free agency, and then we'll we'll go every couple of weeks until we get to training camp, and then uh, back to weekly we go. And where do people follow you on the uh, social platforms? Uh, you can find us everywhere. Uh, well, let's, let's not get crazy. I don't have TikTok. I got uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram at the Turf District, uh, and uh, make sure that you're following uh, my co-hosts at uh, Fifty Six Parkies is Superfan Mike at Duchess Lombardi is uh, Commissioner Kayla, and uh, of course uh, Mike's history uh, with uh, EDM. H-I-S-T-O-R-E-E, as he likes to say. Uh, that is a great uh, one to follow all of his history stuff and all the stuff that he shows on the Horde on the podcast. And Heath, I've never asked, but where do people follow you on Twitter and other platforms? All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. <laughs>